Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Bryan. I'm co-founder and performance director here at Spokes, and you are listening to Bespoked, the cycling and triathlon training podcast. I am joined today by Mr. Andy Blow from Precision Hydration, and we're going to be talking to you about the importance of hydration and how you can personalize a hydration strategy to your exact needs. How are you, Andy? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Pav, except for the um, UK rain that we're experiencing at the moment. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm afraid I can't do anything about that. But what we can do is ensure that we have a excellent and well uh, informative podcast for our viewers. So um, congratulations, first of all, because you are, you guys have just been named official supplier of uh, Team Sunweb. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Really, really exciting stuff, actually, to be um, having a more active role in the pro peloton. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that is a big step. Congratulations, like a big pat on the back for, for all you guys and the hard work. And obviously, I've been a fan and uh, uh, worked with you guys for many years now and uh, really, really always have raved about your product. So it's an absolute pleasure to get you on uh, on the podcast so we can uh, uh, share some of your information and insight with our, with our listeners. So why don't we start with some of the basics and you could tell us a little bit about your background and how Precision Hydration started. Yeah, absolutely. So precision hydration, I guess, was born out of a personal struggle, ultimately, for me as an athlete. I was um, not a cyclist per se, more of a triathlete, and I, I raced at a, a pretty reasonable uh, sort of low-end low pro level um, for, for many years with competing in, in the heat, particularly in long-distance races. I would get all sorts of problems, which could sort of in one way or another be tra- be traced back to problems to do with dehydration and sweat loss and um, I have a high sweat rate and it but I didn't know for many many years that I always lose that I also lose tons and tons of electrolytes in my sweat and so it was it was off the back of finding that out that um, and learning about sweat testing and individual variation in hydration needs that precision hydration was ultimately born yeah so you touched on the sort of you having a high sweat rate there uh, and I just one of the things that really attracts me to your company was always the personalization of the sweat testing so I also had uh, a sweat testing done with some of your guys and uh, I also have a, a high sweat rate so I completely completely uh, understand exactly where you're coming from in, from in terms of how that can be a race ruiner and uh, we had four yeah. guys I think tested at my, my local club at the time and I had a higher sweat rate uh, in, t- in terms of volume of sweat and electrolytes lost than the other three combined which was yeah. a, a real real eye-opener so um yeah I, I love that and I love the fact that you guys bring in such a, a personalization uh, towards that so why don't you test a little bit more about the product and then maybe a bit more about the testing yeah so I'll probably if, if you don't mind I'll start the other way around because it's kind okay. of the testing that led to the products and and what what we initially did when I was casting around trying to find out more about my sweat, I found it that it was obviously relatively easy to measure how much you sweat because A, you sort of visibly see it and B, you can weigh yourself before and after training sessions and and the weight loss is a a reasonably good guide to what your sweat volume is like. So I I could figure that out easily enough. But then a doctor friend of mine put me onto the idea that actually composition of sweat was really important because of all the electrolytes you lose and he was he was um, big on pointing out to me that it's mainly sodium that you lose in your sweat um, because that's what's that's what's found in your blood and your and your sweat is ultimately drawn from your blood plasma and he said to me I think you're you're actually losing a high amount of salt in your sweat but there is there is a kind of hospital test you can do to figure that out and I was I was very intrigued by that so I did some more research got myself tested and uh, as as my friend the doctor had predicted my score for salt loss was really really high as well as my 
um, as well as my sweat uh, total sweat output. When you combine those two factors together, just like you, I found that I was losing you know, two, three, four, five times more salt and, and fluid than a lot of my contemporaries. And having sort of copied this, the, the hydration strategies of more successful athletes to no avail, it suddenly became really clear to me that actually what I needed was not only maybe in my case to um, take a bit more salt, but also balance it out against the fluid that I was taking so that my body would absorb it better. So so we sort of started out, precision hydration started with this sweat test, which came from a medical diagnostic realm, and we've repurposed it to use with athletes. So we can, in a very short test, we can we can take a sweat sample from someone at rest and, and work out roughly what their sodium loss is and then extrapolate that up to what they might lose in exercise sort of off the back of that it leads to the natural question okay well you know how do we how much do we need to replace and how do we do that and that's where the precision hydration product started to come in because we were finding that we were recommending all sorts of common garden sports drinks to people um, and, and, and asking them to half dose them or triple dose them or double dose them and it became quite unwieldy so in the end we just we just decided that what would be what would be good and simple is to make uh, a, a low strength, a medium strength, and a, a very high strength electrolyte drink, and then try to advise people on which was the best fit for them, just in the same way that you would get the right size bike frame, or you would get the right size cycling shirt, or whatever. It's just fitting it to the individual. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what attracts us uh, as it spokes to that because we're we're really big on that individual end result. And this podcast is is obviously it's just about helping helping those who are just looking for advice and guidance to to see through the normal kind of uh you know you have a mate dave who can give you your advice it's always a dave isn't it yeah it's always a dave but (laughs) but it's about it's about filtering that out and finding exactly how you can do that so we just go back to your testing because uh the machines the the sweat test machines which you you guys now put into some universities and stuff like that now they're 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 about twenty thousand pounds aren't they they're they're really expensive is that right is that right yeah they're actually probably around eight to ten thousand pounds these days which um i guess is only in some ways i suppose is only comparable to the price of a top end road bike or even some might say a mid-range road bike these days but um but still a lot of money in in relative terms for most people so we tend to to install them into um sports science clinics as you said universities research institutes with pro sports teams who who um, can utilize them regularly enough with with um, athletes coming through to make them cost effective yeah, absolutely. One of our long-term goals at Spokes is to have maybe centre of excellences or performance centres where we would do a, a wide range of different services, including sweat testing. And yeah, the, the average person's just not going to spend that much. Even I know it is comparable with a yeah, as you, as you say, even a mid-range bike or a top-range bike nowadays. But people just uh, you, you're not you you wouldn't you wouldn't spend that. So it, I mean, aside from anybody listening out there, when I when I had it done, we we had it done at our local club. Aside from yeah. that, have you got a, a maybe another option that they could do perhaps 100% yeah because what we're really doing with the sweat test is is accurately nailing down the main variable that people probably don't know about their body at the moment which is their sweat sodium concentration but what athletes who've done a level of training do know about their bodies is is quite a lot so they often know if they have a high sweat rate or not they often know whether they crave salt after long rides or whether they get muscle cramps or whether they see salt stains on their kit so over the last 10 years or so we've developed an online algorithm which is built 
to our website uh, at precisionhydration.com. It's free to use. You just go in there, you click on lots of different options, answer some questions, and it sort of tries to bucket you into whether you're a low salt and sweat loss um, person, whether you're a medium salt and sweat loss person, whether you might be a high or a very high salt and sweat loss person. And then it gives you a little report for, of things to go and try. Because ultimately, even with a sweat test performed, we find that there's a good amount of trial and error that needs to go on to fine tune someone's hydration strategy in the long run. And the the online test is is remarkably good starting point to beginning that journey of, of figuring out what works for you as an individual. Absolutely. So first port of call for uh, our listeners would be to head to precisionhydration.com and take the 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 online uh, sweat test and to have a look at what that looks like for them. And uh, and then with the results, go away and and start to have a think about any of the uh, any of the things that kind of pop up on there and whether there whether there's any need for change or correlation or anything like that. Definitely. And the other thing I would say is that we we are, we love hearing from people who've done the sweat test. You, you get an email when you do the sweat test. If you reply to it, we have myself and another couple of sports scientists now full time back at HQ in, in the UK, answering those emails, helping people figure out, oh, I've done this and I want now I'm going to try doing that. What do you think? I'm using I want to use this this product in conjunction with another one. How does that work? We're there to sort of consult with people to try and get those hydration strategies dialed in through that trial and error process. So we definitely encourage people to reach out and have a dialogue with us on, on all of that. Fantastic. That's really great. And I guess th- th- let's talk about the, the big the big sort of question here. What's the uh, what's the importance of hydration? I know there's obviously a lot of science and you've mentioned a few a few things like cramping and uh, and performance. But but what have you got that you could tell us that really like would ho- hopefully get people to really think about actually going away and planning something to do with their hydration? Well, I think I think what it boils down to is that the hydration messaging over the last you know, 30, 40 years for athletes has got very mixed up and confused. It, it, going back way, way long ago, athletes used to be recommended to drink nothing or as little as possible. That was the sort of stock advice. It was that drinking was bad for you and you should avoid it at all costs. And we know now that that advice is, is bad because if you ignore the signs of thirst, if you don't drink, when you, especially when you do long endurance exercise, when you're sweating, your performance and, and ultimately your health can be affected because what happens is the fundamental thing that happens is your blood volume contracts to a degree that your blood becomes a lot thicker, you've got less of it, it can't pump around the body as effectively and everything slows down and your performance just drops through the floor. So that's what happens when we get dehydrated and that massively happens if we ignore thirst signals and don't drink. So then we went through this phase of, of you know recommendations that athletes needed to drink in order to stay hydrated and they very quickly became overinflated to the point where athletes were advised to drink and drink and drink and drink and that any level of dehydration was going to be bad for performance a lot of sort of prominent sports scientists in the last few decades put that down to the the influence of big companies like Gatorade and LucasAid who have had very powerful marketing strategies pushing the idea of drinking as much as you can during exercise and then, and then what's happened, we've started to see instances of people in sport and in, and in other walks of life, like, like the military and, and places where hydration is a key issue, get going the other way and getting overhydrated. And being overhydrated is, is a big problem because 
you can get a condition called hypernatremia, which is where you drink too much, so much that you dilute the salts in your blood and in your body down to a degree that it becomes very detrimental. And people have actually died from hypernatremia and overhydration during marathons, during Ironmans, during long-distance cycling sportives and things when they've not listened to their body and drank far too much. So where the sort of advice is going these days into the middle ground is to a bit more of a balanced approach and and that's where we see the the need for this sort of talk about individualization because people are stuck between these two polarized views you know don't drink anything or drink loads and drink as much as you can and actually it's like you there's the 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 the, the answer is in the middle and it's very very individual because it depends on your physiology it depends on the event you're doing and there's a level of sort of scientific trial and error required to get it dialed in. And the sad, the sad thing is there's no kind of lovely sound by answer to say, oh, you know, don't drink, drink as much as you can or just drink when just drink water when you're thirsty. All of these things that you can encapsulate in one line don't take into account all the huge variation in people and circumstances that we see. So the, the reality is it's kind of this individual search for for what's right for you in any given circumstance and and that's the message in the the sort of line that we're trying to promote is is trying to get people to think about it from that perspective much like you are with a lot of other areas of cycling and performance with spokes we're trying to do that specifically with hydration you know focus on individual needs yeah absolutely and yeah and that that's a great message to sort of take away i I, i'm presuming that most people on uh on this or who are listening to this uh, have probably experienced dehydration um yeah let's talk a bit more about hyponatremia now that is obviously as you say that's diluting diluting your blood what are the warning signs about that because i'm sure people are probably trying to identify or googling it right now uh, to to try and find out how that feels yeah, hyponatremia is an interesting one because some of the symptoms can be confused with those of dehydration or with other kind of s- symptoms of fatigue. Um, definitely confusion and um, sort of restlessness, feelings of restlessness and, and lethargy are are two of the key ones. The confusion and the mental side of things, the l- lack of mental clarity c- then comes because one of the really dangerous things about hyponatremia is it causes your brain cells to swell what your body does is it takes excess fluid that's been going from your gut into your bloodstream and it and it has to dump it out of the bloodstream somewhere and it pushes it into your body's own cells and they swell up a bit so if you get swollen fingers or swollen ankles you know that's not very nice but it's not ultimately too harmful if you get swollen brain cells which can happen they've got nowhere to go inside your skull and that swelling can cause headaches and 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 cognitive issues and so you you basically start to feel very very off par you can get muscle cramps as well there's a lot of there's a lot of um, debate about the actual causes for that but what you see in numerous case studies when you look at medical case reports of people with hyponatremia is you see um, huge huge amounts of reports of muscle cramping um, so that can be a, a warning sign you can um, you can certainly start to feel a bit sick and a bit bloated like you've got fluid sloshing around because often fluid will sit in your stomach but they're all they're all sort of signs which which until you've experienced them or until you've you you understand the difference between them and say being dehydrated or just running out of energy it can be quite hard to define so one of the big things we always tell people to be looking for is like really trying to think about how much have you drunk if if you think you might be going hyponatremic the chances are you will have consumed quite a large amount of fluid in the build-up to that so that's obviously a, a bit of a warning sign 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, f- for me, uh, I definitely always on the, the dehydration side of uh, of any any equation when I am racing or anything like that, as I imagine you might be as well, given how much we yeah. sweat. Um, I mean, I obviously my, my racing background was sort of like the ultra distance, 12 hours sort of races and stuff like that. And I can tell yeah. you that I never, I never once have stopped to have a, a pee during, during a 12 hour event. Yeah. And at the end of it, no matter how much I drank, and I'm very conservative, well, very, very generous with my drinking, actually, uh, I'm still always like on the darker side of the, the color of my urine. Now, it, do you recommend that checking the color of your urine is a good or accurate reflection of just how hydrated you are and maybe a warning sign of hyponatremia if you it's possibly urinating too much and just clear yeah definitely some some of the time if you're if you're basically one of these athletes and this was me as a youngster i would be paranoid if i wasn't drinking a lot and my wee wasn't clear every time i went to the bathroom and that was just because dehydration the fear of dehydration had kind of been bred into me by everything i was reading and taking in as a young athlete and and as everything i was studying actually as a young sports scientist so i had this paranoia that you know got to drink more if my urine's anything other than clear you know i've got to drink more so i would often find myself you know probably borderline hyponatremic peeing all the time very very clear urine but then when when you actually sweat during exercise you're obviously losing fluid and sodium and you you're effective if you're just drinking water you can then or, or low sodium fluids then you exacerbate that that hyponatremia further because not only are you losing salts from the body but you're not replacing even a proportion of them with what you're drinking so we definitely think that looking at urine color on a, on a on a sort of overall basis can help you define your your level of hydration to a certain extent but it's not the be all and end all because there are things that can confound it one of the classic ones people talk about is if you're taking a a multivitamin sometimes or some some sort of supplement with coloring in it quite often that can change the color of your pee um, because if it's if it's got um, additives and colorants in it they will end up in your urine and you might have orange wee but it's because you've had a, a vitamin c supplement not because you're getting dehydrated the other thing is as well, your sometimes your body will be playing catch up with what it's doing through the kidneys to, to cause you to pee. So you might be having slightly darker than normal urine. That doesn't mean you're actually dehydrated. It could it just means that your body's detected that it's a good idea to conserve some water because you might be seeing your hydration levels drop. So it's taking proactive action if at that point you then go into overdrive and fluid overload you actually push it too far the other way so we we always suggest sort of taking things taking urine color as a as a as a a bit of a guide but not as the be all and end all you know you have to also think about things like how much have you been sweating how much have you how much have you had to drink and whether kind of overhydration or dehydration is is more likely the the other thing that can influence your urine color is if you're just you know drinking a lot of water and peeing a lot and feeling hydrated you might not be holding on to much of it because you're not taking enough salt and that was again from my own experience what i found was that as i started to take more salt and more sodium on board in in races and in the build-up to races that i would actually be better hydrated and yet be drinking less because my body was absorbing and holding on to that fluid better with the salts yeah absolutely that's uh you you raise a couple of really good points there which i want to cover i just want to sort of 
uh, go back to the urine the urine thing and actually yeah. say that yeah to- totally agree with what you're saying it's it's one measure that can help build a picture around what's going yeah. on and we can see that in all areas of cycling whether you're talking about sort of utilizing your training methodology with using a power meter or like your nutrition it is really really dangerous to rely on one thing at all so I completely agree with what you're saying about urine and actually to for my personal experience I think the only time I've ever probably been hyponatremic is uh, is after actually being dehydrated or feeling like I was dehydrated and then rehydrating too much uh, and feeling Def- really really well, well because of that um, so yeah to- totally agree with you one, and- one thing I would just um, I, I should have probably said in the urine colour thing is I think if you're going to take one urine assessment if you like of the day the best one to rely on for for monitoring your hydration status is the first pee you have in the morning because for most people a lot a lot of the time the first thing you would do when you get up in the morning is have a wee and at that point your body has had the, the night to sort itself out it's in reasonably good homeostatic balance and if that if your first pee of the day is particularly dark then that that is more likely to be a sign of dehydration than it is at other times because okay. you haven't started drinking, you haven't started having caffeine, which might cause you to pee a bit more, you haven't overdrunk or anything like that. So I think that if, if people wanted to take away one very practical thing from this, it would be, you know, like look at the first pee of the day to see if you're adequately rehydrated from the previous day. But beyond that, you probably need to read less into the colour of your pee as the day goes on. Fantastic. Now, that's really, really good advice. Um, something actually I'd I'd known about, but never really thought about it. But yeah, you're right. First first one of the day is probably the most reliable, uh, reliable one. So yeah. I just before we kind of cover the last little bit, the last bit I want to focus on is really helping the, the listeners to build that hydration strategy but i want to talk about cramp now yeah there's as far as i know there's no definitive like study that can say this is what causes cramp we all have and again i think this is personal i think that i know a lot mm-hmm. of or a lot of my clients have had it when they've overexerted some have had it because yeah. they've not drunk enough some have like you say probably had it because they've drunk too much uh, or not had enough uh, sodium or magnesium in their in their diet or whatever what what what's your thoughts around this what what did your experience well i go, going at it purely first of all from anecdotal personal experience for me i'm a heavy sweater a heavy salt loser and if i fail to supplement with adequate fluid and salt during you know long duration activity and i'm talking about stuff often more than two and a half three hours and high intensity in the heat then there's a very good chance that i will run into cramps thereafter or in the in the aftermath of the exercise and that doesn't happen if i supplement with sufficient salt and water so for me and that's been the case for you know 20 odd years it's it is just something i learned through hard-won practical experience we have lots of anecdotal testimony from athletes who have, have similar experience now there's a lot of people who can test the fact that electrolytes and fluid balance have anything at all to do with cramp because of a lack of laboratory-based evidence and the, the problem that exists in that sort of um, that place at the moment is that there's there's a big gap between these these people who are sort of adamant believers in a, in some kind of electrolyte imbalanced theory of cramping but have no hard model and lab based evidence for it and the the naysayers if you like the people who've done lab tests to try to gather evidence on on cramping electrolytes and have failed to to uncover it 
and uh, and I think that the, the problem that we're dealing with is is sort of multifaceted. But for for a start, studying cramp in the lab is really really hard to do because how you know we all know that cramp strikes at weird unpredictable times and therefore trying to create situations where you stimulate muscle cramping naturally is really really hard the 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 other reason for it is is that we don't really fully understand what the the actual mechanism at a cellular level is there's lots of theories about cells swelling up or shriveling about um, the fact that electrolytes are involved in muscular contraction and, and nerve transmission but there's not a really robust theory on it coupled with that there are some emerging theories about fatigue about um, the the sort of effect that overstretching and overloading muscles that aren't that aren't up to the job for, for want of a better phrase can cause them to go into to spasms of cramp to protect the muscles and there is some evidence to suggest that that those theories have some merit. What what I tend to feel on it is that there are sort of lots and lots of different interacting factors, and if you like, lots of different flavours of cramp. You know, there is definitely a kind of cramp you can get when you go very, very hard off the line, too hard when your muscles are not warm and ready, and they can spasm and cramp, and that's probably got nothing to do with fluid and electrolyte balance. But when you run into muscle cramps that happen very late on during long duration endurance exercise, especially in the heat and sweat losses are high, there's always a, a good chance that a component of that seems to be driven by fluid imbalance or the difference between intracellular and extracellular fluid levels and hydration. And and just at the moment, we don't fully understand it. Cutting through all of, all of the sort of theory, though, the one thing that I think is worth athletes trying if they are suffering often from muscle cramps is playing around with electrolyte and fluid consumption because that's a very easy variable to manipulate. It's a very low risk thing to try and it has it can have a relatively high success rate. So we actually put together the most the 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 pay the single blog on our website that gets the most reads and the most hits is a massive sort of four thousand word piece that we wrote all about theories of muscle cramping and if it's possible to i guess what we what would be cool to do is link to it in this yeah, um, in, the, in the show notes because anyone who's who wants a deeper dive into the world of muscle cramping can have a read of that and and that sort of explains it probably a bit more eloquently and, and in a bit more detail than what than what i have just now yeah, absolutely. No, there's no no issues at all with us linking back to that. So we'll make sure the, the the listeners can can go back and have a read of that. I guess you, you kind of touched on it there, the the playing around of it, adjusting your sort of or increasing salt. Uh, what we're talking about here, because for the for, for normal person they might not need to do it too much, but for somebody who's probably listened to this and they they might just be throughout the, even this podcast of identifying themselves as a heavy sweater who sweats yeah. a lot of electrolytes. There's some top tips here. Are we talking about maybe having electrolyte drinks as a like a preload to the event, or maybe supplementing with a bit extra salt on their food? Or what's what's that? What does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to get into the real sort of nitty gritty of a bit of practical detail, some things that are worth knowing about are the average sports drink, if you like, off the shelf. So that would be any of the sort of aid products that you just buy in a in a grocery store or supermarket or the standard sport drink mixes that most people buy. They tend to contain something in the region of sort of 300 to 500 milligrams of sodium per litre. 
and that's what we would what we'd say is a sort of low to moderate dose of, of sodium it's 300 to 500 milliliter, milligrams per liter um, when we're talking about mixing a drink to help someone um, who might be getting muscle cramps we're probably moving the dial up to more like 1200 to 1500 milligrams of sodium per liter so it's about three to four times stronger than a standard sports drink and what what's important there is we're inc- massively increasing the ratio of sodium to fluid to help the body absorb more of it and hold onto it in the bloodstream a lot better and and not create that kind of hypernatremic response that you get from from diluting the blood with a, a much weaker sports drink so what we tend to suggest for people who suffer persistent muscle cramps is to try preloading with something with about about 1500 milligrams of sodium per litre and, and probably drinking about half a litre, which is sort of in the in the 16 to 17 ounces territory of it an hour or so before they go out and ride hard. Um, drinking something, making sure they've got a mix similar to that on the bike and sipping that as they feel thirsty when they're riding and seeing if that has a positive effect. Um, so it's a pretty simple test and but but what what a lot of people do when they come to us and they they say i've been having cramping oh, i've tried electrolytes they don't seem to work when we do, when we drill into it they've probably tried them at a very very weak dose which which has not been effective so that's that's why we emphasize the fact that you know you you kind of go in at the a much much stronger level because then then you'll quickly see if you're likely to get a positive response to that and 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 if you do, you can potentially then start to dial it back a little bit and try to get to what what is the lowest effective dose for you. But if you start too low, it's very easy to then just dismiss it out of hand because you think oh, I've tried that. I mean, I I did this many years ago. I tried taking electrolyte tablets in when I did the Hawaii Ironman, and it was but the level that I was taking it was so so dilute it was next to taking nothing. But I had zero concept of the idea of what a high or low dose was at that time. So kind of getting in people's minds that higher dose is more important. Yeah, absolutely. Comple- completely agree. And I, I just, just, to, just to put out there so that anybody that was thinking about this, are there any risks about going in too high? Oh, yeah. Um, yes, there are. Like anything, there's always a sweet spot with these things. Now, a lot of research has been done on, on sports drinks ranging from kind of anything from really low strength, 200, 300 milligrams of sodium a litre up to two or 3,000 milligrams per litre. The risks as you go higher and higher, and we found when we were developing the products that we that we make, that 1,500 milligrams is a high dose. Like I say, it's about triple or quadruple the strength of a standard sports drink, but it seems to sit well with most people's stomachs. In fact, nearly everyone's stomach. We don't see too many gastrointestinal upsets from it, um, but is, is actually still very effective. When you start to go above that level, you get more and more instances of people feeling a bit queasy, people feeling a bit sick or even getting diarrhea um so they're the kind of acute issues with taking too much the chronic issues of taking too much particularly with regards to sodium are that you can start to get fluid retention in the body and start to gain weight we actually had an interesting story a few years ago when we sweat tested uh, an ex-pro tour rider who'd gained weight during the um during the vuelta one year because the team had put them all on very, very strong electrolyte tablets because they thought it was a good idea in the heat. And he happened to have a very, very low sweat sodium concentration, one of the lowest that we've measured, very low sweat rate. So he was actually consuming for his body way too much sodium each day and retaining fluid. So he was gaining weight in in a stage race when actually 
we we all know he should have been losing weight. It was only when they they took him off the tablets and, and his weight normalised, they realised what was going on. So. Um, I would say on balance, in certainly in an acute setting, if you've got people who are sweating a lot and people who are getting cramps, the danger of taking a bit less is, 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 is a lower danger than taking a little bit more. But that's not a license to go crazy with it. You're still trying to optimise and find the sweet spot. Absolutely. And, uh, and on that note, let's move on to sort of how, how somebody would put this, all this information into practice. So the first thing that we, we recommend that everybody's going to do is, uh, is go to precisionhydration.com and take the free online sweat test and find out exactly uh, based on uh, all of their, the information that they provide, what the, the, the algorithm suggests they should be uh, supplementing in terms of the, the, quali- the quality, quantity of uh, sodium order some products and then go out and maybe err on the side of overdoing it but without going too hard especially uh, this might be for somebody who is obviously suffer- suffering considerably with cramps if you're if you're just looking for a performance boost we're probably talking about just using the products and seeing maybe maybe doing some sort of testing if you've got a power meter that'll be very easy for you to do because you can you can simply swap out your, your electrolytes with if you're using one already or if you're not you could simply introduce your one the precision hydration mix and and then do a, a repeatable test over over the matter of weeks to see to see what that happens but if we're, if we're talking about maybe somebody who is going to do an event in in a very hot climate have you got some top tips that they can take away from this definitely it's basically you want to start the event as well hydrated as possible and the key the key to that is not just drinking and drinking and drinking lots of water in the build-up because what will happen is ultimately that sets you on the road potentially towards hyponatremia and overhydration because you end up weighing most of it out the the main advice that we give people in the build-up to an event is drink drink and eat normally in the in the days building up you may obviously be increasing the carbohydrates in your diet if you're if you're trying to carbo load a little bit but it's not really until the last sort of 24 hours that you really need to do too much about your salt and fluid intake and during that time we advise people to add a little bit more salt to their food and potentially have a very strong electrolyte drink around you know around the sort of half a liter 16 17 ounces the night before and then another half liter of that with their breakfast presume it's a morning start with their breakfast before the ride because your capacity to take on additional fluid and hold on to it in the body is very limited your kidneys do a really good job of normalizing your body fluid levels so anything over and above that that you throw at it in the days building up you're just going to wee out um, we've actually done another blog on that on our website all about it's called how to start hydrated if people search for that and it breaks it down in in a lot of detail but essentially it's kind of don't overdo it in the, in the days building up have a little bit extra with some strong electrolytes the night before in the morning of and that should get you to the start line you know optimally ready perfect and uh, you mentioned salt adding salt to foods what's your thoughts on uh, a good salt for people to use uh, honestly i don't think it matters too much there's a lot of talk about you know himalayan pink salt and that has extra minerals with it and there's you know compared with say cheap table salt but ultimately uh, you know there are arguments for using different types of salt if you are looking for some of the other minor minerals and things in them but when it comes to you know hydration and, and replenishment of, of what you lose in sweat we're talking about sodium chloride which is you know good old table salt so as long as you're adding that to your food and use your taste buds to dictate that you know if you like the taste of salt especially 
after after riding and, and, and in your meals it's probably your body telling you that you crave it a little bit and need it so add a little bit more um but i don't think this the particular type of salt in the, for, for that purpose is is at all influential you can you can just be a, a, a real cheapskate if you like and go and take <laughs> it off the the packets the free packets on the on the on the counter in mcdonald's and it will do just as good it's funny you mentioned that because I actually uh, we I, I read a lot into it. I bought into the pink Himalayan salt sort of fad as it was, and uh, I've read a lot recently about how it's uh, they're debunking it slightly as a bit maybe maybe a bit more marketing than than we would like to like to sort of admit. But uh, it's, it is funny. I just actually ordered a, a massive, great big bulk of the little salt packets to take places where i might not have ready like ready salt available that i can add to food just in case especially when when i do go away so it's it's funny that you mentioned that um was there anything else that you'd like to talk about anything that the the listeners might uh might find interesting i think i think one of the biggest messages that we end up talking to to athletes about and this is a combination of something we've learned through through our own experience and also through working with an increasing amount of elite athletes over the last few years is the the key to all of this is we've we've talked a lot about sort of if you like the science behind it and potentially made some of the the concepts sound quite complicated you know with sweat sodium measurement and all the rest of it but what a lot of it comes down to is knowing your body learning to read the signals it gives you and learning to act on your intuition all of the all of the best athletes that we work with seem to have something in common in that they they do a great job of managing their hydration their fluid and their salt intake by by listening to their body you know we talk to um, elite triathletes or elite cyclists about how do they decide how many bottles they're going to drink um, during a stage or during a, a, the bike leg of an Ironman how much salt they're going to take and they have they have some preconceived ideas on what they might take based on based on testing they've done based on past experience so they make sure what they've got available but then what they do much better than um, a lot of amateur athletes is that they then test and adjust that on the fly and optimize it as they're going so they have what we would describe as like a loose plan and framework which they work to um, but it's not an absolute value they're not shooting for definitely whatever happens i'm going to drink two bottles an hour i'm going to drink one bottle an hour i'm going to take x amount of milligrams of sodium or y amount of milligrams they they have these sort of flexible patterns for them these boundaries that they they work within but then they they use their intuition they they use a bit of trial and error and they optimize it on the go and i think that if we can get athletes thinking about the fact that there's no absolute answers here this is about understanding what's going on with your body tuning into it learning to listen to it and and reacting then you tend to get the best results yeah absolutely and on that really good piece of advice uh we will call it time and uh, i'd like to thank you very much andy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and uh, I know that the, the 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 listeners and I uh, take away quite a lot of uh, good information from this and be able to implement a good hydration strategy. Uh, so again, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank, thanks for the thanks for the chat.